Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Fiction. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and our word on KCB 106.5 FM Los Angeles 102.3 FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs We're talking with uh, Eric Shapiro today. Thank you for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me. So, um, wow, you you do have quite the uh history of books and 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 everything. Um Let's let's just talk. This is the first time you've been on this show, so maybe give the uh, listeners uh, a little briefing of who you are and what you do. Oh, sure, sure. It's you know, um, I'm getting better as time goes on at summarizing it because it's been erratic over the years. Like as you said, I've made films. I've made a couple feature films. They're called Living Things and Rule of Three. Uh, I was in L.A. for a stretch, and I was uh, more in the movie business. I still do projects from time to time and get hired to do like trailers and stuff like that. But what I'm doing for the most part day-to-day is my wife and I own a newspaper in Silicon Valley called the Milpitas Beat, and uh, we've been doing that for the past three years. And um, in the midst of doing that sort of work, I just wrote a a novel that came out earlier this year called Red Dennis, a a thriller. And I also had a nonfiction book released this year, which is called Ask Plus C, which is all tips to help uh, writers become inspired and stop procrastinating. So, um, yeah, so it's a mishmash of journalism, books, screenplays, filmmaking. All that kind of stuff. That's interesting. What what makes you do that? Like, uh, and I mean this in the sense of so. Okay, here you are in L.A., and uh, sure. you're doing a little bit of filming, and then you end up uh, moving, and then get into doing a, a paper and and writing a book. Like, what 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 kind of was the change? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, when we moved up north, um, it was kind of unexpected. My wife's father was passing away so this was like 2015 so we were adjusting we also um you know we were having children so we wanted to sort of go to the suburbs with our kids and we went to a town a city right that snug up against san jose called milpitas which um we quickly learned that the local newspaper had been bought out by a bigger by a corporation they were no longer publishing local news so like city hall city council, school board, there was like no coverage. It was all regional coverage that the paper was now doing. So it was still called the Milpitas Post. It's still around. But the local coverage has dropped off. So my wife, being a marketing person, saw the gap. And um, I had an extensive writing background. Uh, I've made my living as a ghostwriter. That's uh, another piece I could add to the puzzle. Uh, I had made my living as a ghostwriter for like 17 years. And I was doing speeches and memoirs and business plans, screenplays, script doctoring. It was, it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was a real busy company, but I was trying to get out of it because I was, I was burned out, too many deadlines. And she was like, why don't we just start giving them local news and we'll start an online newspaper. I think it'll work because it'll fill the gap. So you know, it was her marketing genius that saw the gap and knew just how to fill it. So we started doing that and we 
uh, pretty quickly in the first four months or so got a pretty robust audience. Like our paper is generally read by like thirty to forty thousand uh, people a month in the city. So we're just always covering the news, giving op-eds and so forth. And I um in the course of becoming known locally for my op-ed writing, which is political, sometimes you know provocative in the sense that it stimulates discussion, I often write things that, even though I identify as liberal and uh, I vote Democrat, um, I often write things that are sort of, quote-unquote, outside the progressive bubble. And it's been an interesting experience seeing how the public takes that, you know, whether they accept it or dismiss it or they get angry about it. And I've, I've sort of cultivated a new identity as a writer around the op-eds. And I'd always done books, I'd, I'd written horror, like I'd always kept busy, and Red Dennis was sort of the combination of the political side of me and the sort of dark fiction side of me, and, um, and it, it kind of dovetails with me being identified here in my region as an op-ed person, because it's political content and it's challenging, even though it's fiction, it kind of fits with how the opinion editorials are. So now um, uh, there's a there's a couple things. First of all, um, sure. being being a ghostwriter for 17 years, you only look 17. So I don't know how that. Happens. <laughs> <laughs> I think you were saying that. I don't feel it. I actually feel like you know when MLK died. I, how old was Martin Luther King? He was like 36 when he died. Yeah. I always think about that story. Uh, how the the, uh, the person that did the autopsy, the forensic person, opened up his body you know, to examine him and said, on the inside, he looked like he was like 65 because there was so much stress and inflammation because of who he was and how he lived his life. Yeah. And uh, thank you for saying that, because i got to tell you, from all that ghostwriting, I really feel like, I just, like I'm ready to retire. Like, it was ridiculous. <laughs> I was writing uh, 2,500 pages a year. Like, and it, was, it was hard to say no to the work because it was always busy. It was lucrative work. But at a certain point, I was like, this is killing me. I gained weight, which I, I'm now, I've now lost a lot of weight. But uh, I needed a turnaround. So the newspaper has kind of been my savior. It's been a fun thing to work on with my wife. And it's still growing. It's in its third year. But, um, yeah, so hopefully, you know, hopefully next time you'll tell me I look like I'm 15 well, don't don't hold your breath. But and you get to put your name on it when you're when you're not a ghostwriter anymore. You get to put your name on it. So that must be you got fulfilling. it. Yeah, you, you said it, and that was always an issue too. Because what it was, what my life was, was I was always ghostwriting, speechwriting, etc. And then I would always steal time to do personal projects. So maybe once a year I'd write a novella, which you can draft in like two weeks. It's like twenty five thousand words. So I was getting um, recognition for my fiction, but it was never particularly commercial, so it was always frustrating to see uh, my income was always coming from the ghostwriting, which was uncredited. Oftentimes, I would say more often than not, I didn't want credit for the ghostwriting. Um, you know, just because the projects weren't, you know, I, whether I thought it was good or not, I always tried to make them good. Like, usually, I just wasn't aligned to them. It wasn't material I was personally into, so there was that factor, but um, I was trying to build like a career as a fiction writer, which I'm passionate about, or at least, you know, around uh, if I was writing nonfiction, just uh, areas I'm interested in, and it was always, you know, a slow process because I was snowed in with all these ghostwriting obligations. So really I got liberated finally a couple of years ago when the paper started. We had a new source of income. Um, and then, you know, like you said, name recognition. And finally it started moving. But it was a long slog through all those years of ghostwriting. I was constantly complaining, constantly angry. So, yeah, it was a, it was a big shift. So you're not Millie Vanilli anymore. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the yeah. Yeah, yeah. Date yourself there, Al. I know. I was going to say, is that is that is that it's going to be too old? <laughs> I was going to pick up. No, that's a good one. I you got me. I was like in sixth grade, but uh, <laughs> oh, sixth yeah, grade. Yeah, I, it's oh, it's funny you say Millie Vanilli because uh, that's how I, I used to think of it as tracing paper. So Millie, Millie Vanilli was lip syncing. I'm like, as it goes through, I'm just I'm just tracing paper. It's just like they have their ideas. And I put them in some sort of structure, and then they come in with their edits. And, and it's not, um, it, it was, um, you know, it's good work. Like, I, I never had a ethical problem with the whole idea of credit or not taking credit. That was never an issue for me. But, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. You're at the client's approval and, and just you know, always dealing with the questions. And it was just, it was a lot to deal with. Yeah, too much like work. Um, you know, yeah, you got it. Yeah. Well, and so, so when you're doing this newspaper, I was going to say, um, so you're part of the fake news. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. We're the same. Yeah, you know, it's so funny because the Republicans locally have cozied up to me so much because I throw them a little love from time to time. It's not even like outright love, but because I'm willing to um, uh, take exception to some progressive behavior or ideology, they trust me, which is interesting. So we've actually gotten recognition as a result of that for being moderate. So uh, we, as opposed to most newspapers, especially in this area, which are like, it's just a hard, a very hard uh 
left-wing ideology. And if you know how to parse the difference between left and right, you can see it with every story. But we, we try and cover the spectrum. Yeah. So it's only, it's only like 25% of our, our local population here is Republican, but we try and represent them. I mean, they're basically closeted, which is fascinating. <laughs> oh, geez. Come out of yeah. that closet. Yeah. Well, you, you know, the thing yeah, is, yeah, you, you know, <laughs> the, 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 there's left ideas and right ideas that are both extreme and both kind of silly. And, and, you got it. and to try and put that on anybody else is ridiculous. It's, it's just either something that's sensible or it's not and, and fair and not. None of this other weird stuff. And uh, you got it. people just got to need to relax. You know, the idea um, is that you're in a free country where you can be who you are. And that's supposed to be the, the idea of it, right? So Yeah, that's supposed to be the idea. Yeah. You said it. I mean, we're in this really strange uh, toxic phase with all that. Like, as a speechwriter in particular, I'm really into the art of persuasion. And I, I also got really into that, like, when I was selling my clients. Like, it's just like if there's a fine art to negotiation. Like, if you're negotiating over five points and you're an experienced negotiator, you know that you probably you, you should protect the point that matters most to you. You should be willing to give up four of them. You should be as generous as possible. You should make it clear which point is the one you really care about. Yeah, there's a whole psychology to it that is at a remove from being on Twitter, just like lambasting people that don't agree with you and destroying them and canceling them. It's just like you're not like not only do you not persuade the person, but you run the risk of radicalizing them. Like uh, if you're coming from one ideology and you're like making somebody feel ashamed or tormented because they don't agree with you, they're probably going to hate you and everybody like you after you put them through that. So it's, it's, it's just a really disturbing thing. And how uh, common it is is pretty disturbing too. Well, and I, but you know, I think um, from my looking outside in right now, uh, as I haven't sure. been down since uh, at least March, but my thought is that you're uh, most of the American um, national news and news companies have have ruined themselves. Um, mm -hmm. I, I think, and I mean this in a sense because uh, the 24-hour news places, CNN, Fox. Uh, NBC and all that. MSNBC, yeah, yeah. They, they, they're just extreme, and it's 24-7 Trump, uh, love or hate, and that's it. And it's been going on for so long that uh, the, the people are not getting any news. You know what you I mean? You said it. I mean, yeah, you, you know, you're 100% right. It's amazing how he has, he's like the greatest troll in human history. Like, he, <laughs> yeah. he understands marketing so well. Like, he, he makes it so we're always talking about him. And I, I've suffered in the past from OCD. So, I, I, like, it's amazing. It's like we have, like, countrywide or almost global, you could argue, OCD, where everybody's thinking and talking about Trump. Like, it's a mandatory thing. If you're going to talk politics, the uh, conversation has to be hinged on him. And it's also frustrating for people that haven't really you know, had a life of quote-unquote study in politics or read books about it, they don't understand the finer aspects of it, that, um, you know, you end up talking about his character and the more cartoonish dimensions of it, and uh, it's just really exhausting. Like, I think a lot of people that hope he loses are coming from the standpoint of just, like, being tired of talking about him. And, like, uh, if he could just not be central to the narrative, it would help. Oh, yeah. Well, you got to think about it, too, that if aliens landed on our planet today, it would be, like, the third or fourth story in the news. <laughs> yeah. After after the crazy thing Trump did. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's yeah. and that's kind of the ridiculous thing. I don't I don't quite understand that. And I think that contributes to people thinking um, you know, it's fake news or it's bought and paid for or it's just oh, it's left or it's right. Uh, yeah. there there is no it, because they're not giving you anything basic. They're not telling you about little news stories that are going on. It's just right. it's just Trump, and it's something around Trump, you know. And uh, right. I'm, I'm exhausted for next week. I'm, yeah, <laughs> I know. yeah, I'm like, yeah, I was invited uh, to a party on Wednesday. Uh, you know, just a personal family thing. I was like, wait, I'm already preemptively like, I'm I'm going to be unconscious on Wednesday. Like, no matter what the outcome <laughs> is, I can't. There's no Wednesday in my life. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's, it's it's really kind of a weird thing, but you know, so so that's okay for you doing the paper and your op eds. I get that, but now when you sure. go when you go to write a project like you did with Red Dennis, um, sure. How 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 do you get away with doing that, um, personally? Because I know when I write things, what goes on in the world or what goes on around me um, will affect my mood and my behavior mm -hmm. and therefore my writing. Sure, sure. So mm -hmm. it, it does it does it try to put a damper in things? Does it make it better or worse or what? 
It really did. That's such a good question. I mean, uh, I'm glad I'm, I'm – let me put it this way. I'm glad I'm not writing it, number one, but I'm, I'm not still writing it. Number two, I don't know if I've gotten away with it. Like, <laughs> sometimes there's still a shadow over me at times. Like, I don't know if I'm out of it yet. Um, it was strange because it came from a place of frustration around the culture wars, like everything I was just saying. In the character of Dennis, he ends up in sort of a small-town quasi-me-too scenario where you could take it either way. Like, he – speaks inappropriately it's nothing terribly egregious but he gets accused of way worse than what he did but still he was being a creep so you, you could love him or not love him it's, it's ambiguous like i'm not trying to tip the reader's uh perception either one way or the other but the real impetus uh, behind the character was he, he goes into a rage and it was interesting writing rage because it's not like uh when i was writing it, it's not like i had the volume now up to 11 and the whole book is like him screaming it was like the opposite. It's like just eating him from the inside. He feels very hollow. He feels like he's gone into shutdown mode, and he's sort of like, you know, he's having a psychotic kind of snap. And it's just that um, it's all the journey of how he reacts and he uh, turns to violence. And he becomes, you know, in a lot of ways, I think, you know, people on the left will really enjoy it in the sense that he, um, he like, sort of fulfills all the worst stereotypes of the straight white male in terms of privilege, entitlement, lashing out, like, how dare they do this to me? Uh, but on the other hand, it, I think, also paints uh, on the flip side the danger of, uh, you know, just willy-nilly sort of lazily lashing out and painting somebody as a, as a misfit or a pariah or worse because, you know, you, like I said, end up uh, radicalizing that person. So I was really interested in radicalization, and I also felt it, like, it, I felt it a little bit around the edges within myself. And I have to, you know, speak very carefully. It's not like I was snapping, but I felt it. Like, I was like, I'm a Jewish guy. So I could easily just you know, play the Jewish card in the culture war conversation and leave it at that. You know, I'm a minority. But I'm also a white guy, and I've always identified as a white guy. And uh, I was like, you know, this, this drumbeat from the far left, like on Twitter, you know, about whiteness that has gone on for like five, six years now is so disturbing to me. And I'm like, if it bothers me, imagine how a guy in Kansas with a gun on his hip must feel. And that's kind of where Dennis came from. It's like he's not from Kansas, but it's like if it bothers me and I'm so far to the left and I understand a lot of the sentiment and the systemic racism, et cetera, imagine how it feels to somebody that like is just not ready to hear himself spoken of this way. So, And there you have it. Wow. Uh, but, okay, so now, now your character, your, your um, Dennis, your Fordman, right? That's his char- your character. Uh, you got it. How do you develop a character, a character like that? Like how did you create that? person was it someone you knew was it uh, from you mm. yourself was it like uh, someone like a, a combination of people or what, what where does that come from um really good question it, it starts with um i always start when i'm doing a protagonist in the first person i always start writing as though it's me and uh, it's like me it's kind of like the hunter s thompson approach it's like me under other circumstances and in general there's like enough of a shift there's enough of a adjustment in the points of emphasis and the circumstances the character is going through, that it starts populating as a whole different person. So, like, uh, whereas when I start drafting, it might sound like me just writing an email, or, of course, it's more literary than that, but it's more, you know, it's just Eric. But then um, I'm populating him with these specifics in terms of what he's going through, what he's reacting to, and then he, he branches off and becomes his own thing. And I've done this, like, probably half a dozen times with protagonists. So it's almost like they're all, like, cousins. It's almost like when an actor... Uh, when an actor takes on a role uh, as opposed to like putting on a fake mustache or like a rubber nose or whatnot and like changing everything up the way they sound and an accent it's like the more basic like all right here's you know john travolta or tom cruise or george clooney whoever he's he's not acting different from his nature it's clooney but it's you know but it's off and here are the circumstances it's kind of like that so with all my novellas um previous to this one it was the same starting point and it definitely is a way of drawing from my own emotional materials which in this case was uh twisted because like i said he's like gone into shutdown he's he's had so much rage that he's sort of blacked out on the inside like he's kind of like like the um the um, electricity grid of his being is sort of shorted so it was interesting like how hollow he was and i and he, there wasn't like sweet tangible emotions but there was nothing sentimental or moving because he's not well you know he's not in a warm or Pro, pro-social, pro-human place. So it was, it was definitely a very unnerving side of myself, and it was also my first full-length novel, whereas novellas are like 25,000 words. This is more like 70,000 words. So this is like three novellas in one. So I was spending a lot of time with him, and I was like making jokes on social media, like just, you know, my uh, friends know that I'm working on this, but I, I put a picture of me walking and be like, all right, I'm taking Red Dennis for his walk. You know, it's like because he's always there with me in my head. 
it was it was unnerving, but it was great to have the freedom to work on it after all those years of ghostwriting. It was like I'm going to go whole hog and just like go into this consensual hallucination where I'm like I half think I am this crazy guy, and it was it was a lot of fun. But when you do that. Um... Mm-hmm. Does that make you more aware of some of the things you say and do in real life? Does that make you look at yourself and kind of go, "Ooh, I, I kind of." Re- I oh, absolutely. That. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. As a matter of fact, a minute ago when you said, uh, "You know, how did you get away with it?" In terms, of, like, and you were going toward the character, I thought you were going to talk about socially, like, cause, and then that was when I thought <laughs> to say, uh, like, you know, I, I really socially, I don't think I've gotten away with this book. Like, I had to go to Italy to get a publisher. I went to, um, I don't know if you guys know who Jack Ketchum is. He was like a really oh, yeah. extreme horror yeah. author. Yeah, so I knew Ketchum. I adapted uh, one of his short stories into a short film called Mail Order. And I, I worked with him. He was very supportive of my writing. He knew my novellas. And he passed away, unfortunately. His real name was Dallas Marr. And I, because I had worked with him, I had optioned one of his stories to do a script. I did another short film. So we had a relationship. So I knew his agent, Alice. And I figured this is perfect for her because Red Dennis is, I don't even want to use the word extreme about it. Like it's not graphic or nasty, but it is emotionally dark. So I was like, well, this is, you know, this is pretty heavy material. So I'm going to go to Alice, uh, Dallas slash Jack Ketchum's agent when this book is done. And, you know, and we're dealing with, I'm, I'm coming with her, uh, coming to her with a buffet of toxic, heavy duty topics like the Me Too movement, gun violence, you know, straight white male. It's like all buttons, right? And she instantly rejected it. She, like, looked at it for, like, an hour. She was like, for a variety of reasons, I can't do anything. I'm like, you were Jack Ketchum's agent. Like, did you read those books? Like, (laughs) these books are so insane. I was like, but this is too much for you. So I I ended up going to a publisher called uh, Independent Legions in Italy, and they go pretty extreme. Like, they do um, reissues of Marquis de Sade books. I'm like, all right, they probably will be able to handle it. They really liked it. So thank God. So I got it placed well, but... I still feel like the social dimension of it is unresolved as of now because I'm naive in the sense that I forget that people in my circle or in my community that are on the left or they're far left or they're quote-unquote woke, I forget that they really believe their ideology and they're really invested in it. And it's not like I'm not ideologically invested in my own political positions, but I forget that there are actually people that are sort of reading the handbook and sort of taking it as the whole of reality and to them, I look like a total alt-right outlier. So it's like, you know, just to even just to even talk about these subjects just uh, puts me outside the bubble. So, um, so I'm still processing. But the good news is most people that encounter it, wherever they are politically, and a lot of women in particular, are really enjoying it. So that's positive. Well, I think it's interesting that you brought Ketchum up because, yeah, he is kind of known for his extreme uh, violence and things in his stories, which are great stories, no by the way. But um, I've noticed here on Amazon that uh, you've been compared to Philip K. Dick, which is a very good uh, comparison. And then I, I just have to mention this one because I love this. Uh, the title of the one of the reviews of your book is, uh, If Stephen King and Quentin Tarantino had a baby, his name would be Eric Shapiro. Oh, yeah. So how do you feel about that? Oh, my God, I feel wonderful. And a couple of the Red Dennis reviewers um, also um, cited Richard Bachman, which, you know, Stephen King's alter ego. Yeah, to me, uh, I was a huge King fan growing up. I, like, devoured King. But to me, Bachman was King at his best. I guess because of the lack of uh, sentimentality. And it's like, I do like sentimental writing. Like, I have a side to me that's, like, it's all, all the things I'm not talking about right now. Like, I do have a mushy side like i'm a dad i have two little kids you know they have different tears to my eyes like but um in terms of writing a piece like this like bachman to me is the height of like unsentimental hard disturbing and with the philip k dick thing um that got bandied about uh because my novellas were more like apocalyptic sci-fi dystopian so that was the place i was in for a while and i talked with alessandro the guy in italy who uh did red dennis because he he wanted to put the philip Philip k dick quote on the cover there was some conversation because I was like, well, you know, this is not, Red Dennis is not like sci-fi. It's not dystopian. Yeah. It's not speculative fiction. So it's, it could be a little confusing. But he still wanted to do it for the social dimensions and the psychology. And so I was like, all right, rock on. We'll go for it. And he, he made it clear it's a dark thriller. So, yeah, that's, um, it's great to hear things like that. I mean, and also, like I said before, it's really been the past couple years where I feel like it's really started to click uh, career-wise with the fiction because I was just feeling time for all those, all those ghostwriting years. Jeez. I've been called the dick a few times myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, about your writing, Al? Or? About just me. Yeah. 
<laughs> they don't even wait. They don't even look at what I write. It's to say, dick. Right, right. But they say it in a, a harsher way. But you know. Uh, right. <laughs> so when you when you do okay, um, so okay. you you feel like you're 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 kind of accomplishing something and all that stuff. But sure. honestly, when you when you sit down and you look at it, do you feel like you've uh, made it, so to speak, in the sense of as a um, writer? Wow. Um, like, are you comfortable enough to say, uh, do you have confidence to, uh, like, okay, so you put out Red red Dennis. Um, mm. Are you are, are you sitting comfortably going, this is a great book, I did a great job, I am a good writer? That's a hard uh, question mm -hmm. because I always feel it, insecure. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's sort of it's tied up in, like, what I had for breakfast that morning. Like, if there was enough <laughs> sugar in the cereal, I think I'm the greatest writer that ever lived. But then, then, like, at 4 p.m., I, I, I can't even look at it. I would, like, want to throw it in fire. So, like, I don't – it's a really hard question. Like, in general, in general, I have a baseline of confidence. Like, I feel like I'm a pro. I've been hired a bunch of times. I, I've, I've made my living doing it. Like, I, you know, the feedback is good. So, I'd be – I'd be lying if I said that there wasn't a baseline of, like, confidence. But in terms of, like, when you, if it goes to a loftier consideration like greatness, I really, like, never have any idea. Like, I might be able to say on a good day, if I had the sugar cereal, I might be able to say, like, by contemporary standards, I think it's maybe a stimulating book or an exciting book or a tense book. I, I, I think I would take it that far. But in terms of, like, you know, something that would last or sustain, like, even if somebody tells me, I have the insecurity in the sense, like, if somebody comes to me and says, oh, my God, this is amazing, I love it, um, there is a part of me that's neurotic enough to be like, yeah, but I don't know if that means you're going to be thinking about it for the rest of your life. Like, I don't know if that means it's mm -hmm. going to haunt your dream life. Like, is it really that great? Like, I, uh, one of the books I read during um, lockdown was, uh, incidentally, a Stephen King recommendation from years ago called, um, have you guys heard of The Ideal Genuine Man? Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh -huh. Oh, there you go. You know, okay. So that's, that's a book about a guy that comes undone. And I just thought it was extraordinary. Like, I, I was gobsmacked. I thought it was just like a, a masterpiece, just dripping with poetry and insight and just aching over how good it was. And I was like, well, that is, that is just a high-flying masterpiece. And, like, it, I, I can't – I would never deem something I've written on that level. Like, at a certain point, you just don't know. You can't quantify it. So it's just like I can, I can do the best I can. I can, I can get meticulous about each sentence. But at a certain point, I don't know. Even if somebody thinks it rises very high – Maybe that means it rises very high for them as junk food. Like you never have any any yeah. real idea. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's two different a angles, right? There's the there's the technical, the person that has the right grammar, the words, they have the phrasing. Right. There's the technique, all of that. But there's also sure. the uh, the story or the um, the feeling behind the book or how what it creates. So when mm, you write, yeah. um, so like for instance, okay, let's take the Red Dennis book. Um, when you when you've done this book and you put it out, um, someone picks it up and buys it. Uh, what do you want them to take home? Like, what is it you want them to think afterwards? Uh, yeah, it's always about the emotion. It's always the emotion for me, and that's something my wife uh, attuned me to because we've been together um, for twenty three years. We started dating in uh, in college, and uh, she really was somebody early on in my writing that encouraged me to tap the emotion. And I think it's um, if there's of emotional insight, I think that's the key. And it's interesting because my other book, Ask Bus Seat, the nonfiction book, so I'm giving tips for writers, and one of the chapters is <clears throat> tips to value uh, insight more than your voice. Because I think among writers and in writing workshops and like in, in sort of when people talk shop as writers, um, there's a big emphasis on finding your voice. And I understand what all that means. Like, uh, like I just said a moment ago, like you asked me about where the character comes from, I said I write it in my own voice. So it's not like, it's not like I... Um, dismiss or don't agree with the, the concept but i really think i really think the kernel you're looking for uh... a lot can happen in three years like a chatbot may be your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance united healthcare tri-term medical plans underwritten by golden rule insurance company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states learn more at uh1.com ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 
If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Um, when people try to talk about voices, your insight, because your human insight is really what makes you you. So, so the idea when somebody reads Red Dennis is just like, I would want them to feel that, uh, that you know, it's, it, it's just any sort of writing or filmmaking when you're sharing something. I think the uh, cultural eternal custom is to hand it to them and be like, look and see. Look and see, like take a look, just look and see through my eyes. And this is what I see. And do you see it too? And if they feel they see it too, then, then that's some sort of acknowledgement that, okay, there was insight there. There was, uh, there was, there was eyes worth looking through. Um, so something along those lines. Yeah, but how do you, you see, this is, that brings up the next question of where, where, sure. when do you have the confidence? So, you know, I'm, you're, you know, if yeah. I'm writing through my eyes, I'm giving you it how I see it. And right. I write it and I compare it to something that's happened in my life, which writers do. So, you know, I'm talking about sure. an event or something and it relates to me in a certain way. But how do I not feel foolish about sharing something mm. with myself or vulnerable? Like, where is it to the point where you can go, this is this is how I feel? I mean, you, you know, because you're right. exposing something to, to everybody yeah. about yourself. And um, where is that okay? And how do you... It, it, like you know what I mean? Where do you get that confidence, or how do you know you have it? Wow, I mean, it's, I think it's unresolvable. It's it's unresolvable on that level. Like that vulnerability, like that that's never a valve that closes. Like you know, being exposed like that. You, I think I always feel, even if the character himself is not icky, I always feel a little icky and weird about it. But uh, one thing I revert to in answer to the question is, um, uh, you guys probably know the Forty Eight Laws of Power, uh, Robert Greene, mm -hmm. that book. Um, one of the laws, I'm paraphrasing it, but one of the laws is that, uh, like, something along the lines that boldness is more trustworthy than timidity. So, in other words, if you're, like, at a dinner table and you're, like, the loud, bellowing guy who's kind of obnoxious, you know, maybe you're a little obnoxious. I'm, I'm not saying people should be obnoxious, like, quite the contrary, but if you're the guy that's just sitting there watching, you're probably creating more of a sense of threat and uncertainty and instability than the guy that's out in the open. So, like, I do have, like, an exhibitionist thing where it's, like, there is an excitement in being that vulnerable, just like going into the inner material to meet the rawness and sharing it. And it does look ugly. Like you said, when you look at it, like, do you think it's good? I can't even look at it. Like, I can't even, um, when I open the book and look at it, any of my books, everything seems wrong. It seems like alphabet. It seems like the sentences aren't crisp enough. Like, the words are bending on the page. It's not resolved. I could have gone in harder, deeper. That could have been tighter. So I, I abandoned it at a certain point. So I think the, the real answer is you can't resolve it. There isn't true confidence, I would say, like, in the career sense, and maybe it's the, the filmmaking side of me, because when you're a filmmaker, you got to go out and get money. you got to go pitch to investors and streamers and networks and all that stuff. So you need to, like, even though you want to be modest and grounded, you also have to convince them that you're worth trusting. Yeah. So, and then also that's, also you're hearing the guy that has sold, has sold himself to clients, too. So I think there's confidence on a, on a fundamental, like, track record level. It's like, okay, in general, I don't know what my Rotten Tomatoes score would be, 
But in general, like across all my works, even though plenty of people have hated them, there have been plenty of valid negative opinions that have stuck with me. I'm like, oh, God, like it's just, I definitely have plenty of days and moments where I think I suck and it's common. But I think in general, like enough people react emotionally and feel stimulated enough of the time that I feel like over time I've started to feel like a pro. But when you get a review that picks up <laughs> something in one of your stories about something that is actually part of you, and not something you made up. Does that, <laughs> does that hurt? Because I, I find horrible, that to be the horrible, most painful yeah. myself. Oh, it's horrible. It's like, you know, the comedian, when you look at the audience, you know, the comedians talk about it. They look at the audience, everybody can be dying and howling. And if there's one person in the front row that's frowning, that's the person you can remember. For, that's how that show went. You know, so it's terrible. It's brutal. Like, I, wrote, uh, I did a movie called Living Things that's very divisive. Like, it's a very 50-50 type of thing it's about a vegan and a meat eater uh, arguing over dinner and it got you know things get bad like it's designed to make people crazy so but still even though i was like being you know kind of a trickster and a smart ass like designing it to like all right this movie's gonna get under your skin when like, there have been times where i'll look at amazon it's like okay another day another one-star review and another one star oh this person thought it was amateurs oh this person wants the two hours of their life back it's horrible it's like mm -hmm. like i wasted all the investors money i wasted all my time i i'm no good I have no talent. I don't know what I'm doing. It's just yeah, it's the worst. And I think, uh, but I guess maybe if there's any like saving grace to all that inner, to that inner monologue, it's just like, all right, here's there's a lot of pain that I can put back into something else. <laughs> As you're driving through <laughs> the city, right? And, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so uh, now, now your so your ass plus seat. Um, <clears throat> I guess the titles caused you a little bit of trouble, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. It has. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, um, on uh, Amazon, because I just started doing Amazon marketing, or Amazon advertising, rather, the digital advertising, and they flagged it. It was interesting, because they first they didn't catch it, because yeah, they don't allow profanity. You can't even do a dollar sign, dollar sign, nothing like that. You can't even apply it, right? So they, we got like two weeks uh, at the beginning where nobody flagged it, and the book was performing like crazy. I'm like, whoa, we got a hit on it. That was actually selling better than anything I've ever written. It was like a good teachable moment. I'm like, okay, this is nonfiction. It scratches an itch. It fills a need. It's kind of a more direct sale than something like with fiction. It's more like, you know, you're, you're sort of like gaining a trust with the readers, the different relationships. And that was great. And then naturally, like two weeks in, they're like, your ads have been flagged. And I was like, no. And then I almost called it butt plus C, but I can't, I just can't bear to do it. It's just well, that the essence of the book. I would, yeah. That doesn't make a lot of sense when you stop to think about the fact that right now mm -hmm. there's a huge trend in publishing of inserting profanity into book titles. You got it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing. I mean, for the small indie, like, Red Dennis wasn't self-published. I self-published S plus C. I wasn't sure what I was going to do with it, but mid-pandemic, I'm like, I'm just going to publish this on my own. So I use the same company we use for the newspaper. And, like, you know, one of my tools is the advertising, but I guess for bigger players you know like you know you, you can play fast and loose and put a curse there like um what is the mark with the name mark manson mark manson? yeah the subtle uh, art of not giving an f yeah you everything's got it. I mean, I mean, up huge, and, yeah. right huge hit huge hit so i mean uh but it's just on their advertising platform same with facebook won't allow it either and it's just crazy because that word is um that's got to be the mildest quote-unquote curse around i mean that's, you can say it on tv I mean, yeah it's a donkey i mean yeah well, yeah, I, I I don't quite I don't I don't quite get that, um, but I know Amazon also doesn't allow, uh, like on one of my books, there's a a blood splatter, and and I know they don't allow that on there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's, which is kind of weird. Um, Was it real blood, Al? Um, yeah, <laughs> maybe that's why. <laughs> right, right, you come to think of it. Yeah. But how do they know that? Come on, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense though, because. The, the whole idea of having profanity in a book title is considered something that's marketable. So, right, you know, yeah. right, want to sell yeah, more I mean, copies. Yeah, you, you took the words right out of my mouth, because I was going to say that once I started sharing on social media the issue I was having with uh, um, them flagging the word, then suddenly we had a little spike in sales. I was like, all right, you know what? It's just like, let me just like just allow the controversy or what, yeah, the tempest in a teapot to, you know, to give it a little more value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people might uh, search for ass more. <laughs> yeah, no, it, yeah, it's so funny. <laughs> it's funny because I was so close to changing it to bud, but I was like, um, I have a feeling, I, it's just an intuitive thing. Like, first of all, I like the word ass better, but yeah. I just have a feeling that something about that word might be helping at the point of sale. 
because there's just something down to earth, crude, like uh, unpretentious about it. So it's just like mm-hmm. and the word "but" like hits all the wrong buttons for me. It's just like to me, it seems bland and overly safe and childlike. I'm just like I'm staying yeah. away from that. But uh, yeah, just something about ads. It's just it's a different. It hits a different register. So well, like, that goes back to your. Boldness is better than timidity thing, right? Oh, so. you said it. Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so I love like, a uh, good ass. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You took the, yeah. Again, you took the words out of my mouth. I didn't want to start going there. But it's like, yeah. It's like, for somebody that, like, wants the pungency of an ass, it's like, yeah, don't, don't mess around with that. Yeah. Don't start giving them butt. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah, I don't yeah. understand. Are you worried about that sort of thing, you know, this, this sort of... Uh, you know, a little bit of a culture and even a way of, of censoring people. Like, I, there's such a fine line of, of, of these public groups. You see, because I get it. You know, if I'm, you know, I, I do a show here for KCAA, and if there's something they don't want, okay, fair enough. I understand. And if I get really crass on air, they could, they could say, oh, you're done, you know. And, right, you right. know, because, you know, there's a point, but there's also a point of freedom. So when you're doing a, a book, like, that's kind of, art as well yeah you know so i so that's sort of where does that worry you at all like it does a lot i think it's put a chill into a lot of artists in recent times especially because a lot of the quote-unquote censorship is coming from the left whereas when i was growing i hate to sound like an old man but when i was growing up in the 90s it was coming from the right like the whole board has changed so now it's like the the people that run the culture the left the people that are running hollywood and uh, most of media are the ones that have these attitudes. And um, I try and be compassionate about it and sympathetic toward the motives. And every case is different. Like, I forgot the guy's name. There was a guy that was going to be on SNL, and he said these awful slurs about Asian people. And when I heard what he said, like, I got to tell you, so many times I'll go on the side against censorship. Like, that's kind of a dogma for me. I, that's where my bias is. It's like, all right, there can be no censorship. But his remarks, whatever they were, were so ugly, and they were witless. They were not insightful. There was no, like, lift or artistry or whatever. He just seemed like a, a, a scumbag. So I was like, you know what? I don't know if necessarily the solution is to take his job. Like, I do think, you know, we've sort of passed the point where an apology is good enough, which is also scary. But, um... um uh, there are um, different scenarios and there are different values you can ascribe to these things. Like, like you said on the radio, if you go too far, they can flag you and it's reasonable, but ideally there should be a, as little censorship as possible. I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge um, Scorsese fan and his, his movies are so profane, not only profane, but so many ethnic slurs mm-hmm. and um, yeah. Casino, yeah. you know, De Niro's Jewish, you know, Ace Rothstein is Jewish. And I love, and I'm not speaking just for myself. It's all my Jewish friends. Like, we love when Pesci goes off on him and you crazy Jew this and that. It's, <laughs> we feel represented. You know, it doesn't always have to be like sunshine Hallmark representation. You know, it can be, it can be like street representation. It's like awesome. Like, yeah. Like, he's, yeah, he's, he's, he knows us. Like, Scorsese is Italian. He's from, uh, you know, he's from New York. He knows Jewish people. You know, he, he, he's yeah. so tied up in the artist being able to find the right note. And uh, on the other hand, with Tarantino, who uses the N-word a lot, I also feel like he's a poser. Like, I, like it hits the wrong note in my inner ear. I'm like, I think he just wants to be cool, and I think he's backed off that over time. So yeah. it is, like, it's kind of a case-by-case call, but in general, my attitude is like, you really, you really should be open just to hearing what people, uh, you should be open to hearing what people have to say. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And there's a point where, it, well, I think there's a point where it comes across real. Like when you're talking about mm-hmm. Scorsese, he doesn't put words in just to shock people or to get people right, uh, yeah. to, 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 to watch. They're, it's just like nude scenes in a movie. You know, it's not just mm-hmm. gratis, you know, sex shot. It's just it, it has to be appropriate. Otherwise, it doesn't doesn't work, you know. Um, yeah, absolutely. Appropriate. And also, I think another valuable dimension to this is what you were saying earlier in terms of sharing your vulnerable self. Like, if you're bringing nudity in and it's just to titillate the audience, it's kind of like, you know, it's a Hollywood movie, but it's a little north of softcore porn and the motives are just to titillate and sell tickets. That's very common and that's one thing. But if you're bringing nudity in and it's awkward and it's kind of sweet and it's kind of weird and there's kind of new ideas around it and just like new dialogue or whatever and it's coming at an angle that's lived in, then that really is valuable, and there, you know, people shouldn't get uncomfortable. So, um, 
Yeah, but there ask, definitely is a chill yeah. in the air. Yeah. Ask ahead, never yeah, yeah. Uh, makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I'm I'm the Howard Stern fan, so I'm the nutball here. So I. Uh, yeah, I, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, I he think, really pushed the envelope. Yeah. Well, yeah, but but it, it gives the opportunity of just being yourself and be able to say, "Listen, this is what I do." And, and the idea is either you, yeah. you watch it or you don't. You listen, you don't. You know, it's sort of, um, you know, it's it's kind of that line. Um, yeah, and, and in addition, like um, like you, know, you can you can take the leave at number one. Number two, the solution. If somebody says something you don't like, and I've dealt with this a lot with the op eds, like. That, you know, I've had a couple people be like, all right, this man should never be able to speak again. It's like, no, that's not the solution. Like, that's not, the idea's not going to go away just because you've taken them out of your field of sight or you've silenced them temporarily. It, 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 on the contrary, they're going to sort of fester in the darkness, which is what you don't want. Well, and people forget that part of art is the right and the need to provoke and offend sometimes. <laughs> that's no part of the reason it. we do it. No question. I mean, um, Jordan Peterson, you know, uh, oh, yeah. he said that uh, you, um, in order to, in order to be to be able to think, you have to be offensive. Something along those lines. Like, mm. just the offensive ideas are part of being able to grow your mind. I mean, you can't you can't constantly be running into your own internal fences. And uh, if you say anything you know, that's worth listening to, you're going to offend someone. Oh, thank you. Yeah, you, you, you said it. I'm, um, it's uh, it's just along the course. I think people that are acculturated. Like, when I was growing up, me and my clique of guys I grew up with were very into being deep. That was our thing, like smoking weed, deep conversations. And if you, if you live that way, if that's, like, sort of like your way of life, your code or whatever, then you're always going to be encountering thorny, uncomfortable, extreme, disturbing ideas. Mm-hmm. And I've sort of, like, uh, I don't think any of us, like, I'm not in touch with all of them, but I think we always carried that forward. That was just the way we were. And there was just the type of guys we were, were kind of weird in that regard. But it's, um, it's kind of like a value system. So... Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's it's fun to have an exciting mind. I mean, that's open to strange things. Like, for example, I think the most current um, piece of pop art in this conversation is probably the the Barat sequel that just came out. Oh, yeah. And there were things I, I I thought it was hilarious. Like, I was saying that I couldn't breathe. I thought it was so funny. But there were definitely a couple scenes. I won't say which one because I don't want to ruin it for people that haven't seen it. But uh, there were definitely a couple scenes I didn't think were funny at all. But that doesn't mean I like crossed my arms and became upset. You know, like I was like, <laughs> oh, he's, he's, are you shocking me right now? But I don't think this is funny. But but again, there's no need for pearl clutching. Well, <laughs> I do that all the time. That's where I join the line. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, that's it's over. Yeah. So, <laughs> where? So what? So what's your plans then? Like, what? What do you plan on doing next? Like, where do you want to go with all this? Like, where do you see yourself? Good, good question. Um, the big thing is with these Amazon uh, marketing tools uh, because I just took my backlist. Red Dennis is the outlier because it's with this good publisher, but I took my backlist. I re- I, it was all spread around to different good publishers, like people in horror and sci-fi, but I took it back from them. Like These books are getting a little older in some cases, and I republished them all under my own company, the same uh, entity that puts out the newspaper. And I'm really trying to push these. So I just uh, got a marketing consultant in San Diego, so I'm working with him and you know, uh, checking in with him every few days. For, and that's been the past few weeks. So I really would just like to get all of this going on the marketing end of things. And um, having the newspaper work and click so well as a business inspired me to get more serious on the marketing end of my books, which was never, again, like it was never something I had the luxury of being able to attend to because I was always, you know, just like overloaded with ghostwriting. But now that's, that's my focus. Well, that's interesting. Um, okay. So now what is your website or contact? Where do you want people to go if, if you, you know, if they want to find out about you? Um, I think the best place is Facebook, um, and I'm always interacting with, you know, we got the whole, I have my local community or city, we got the horror community, the sci-fi community, so it's a whole mishmash, and I'm always talking to other authors and readers and fans and all that kind of stuff. So just your Facebook, okay, so uh, we'll, have that, that we'll have that for people. Uh, so how do you find it? So when you when you took back some of your books from other publishers, was it hard? Um, yeah, it actually. But um, one of the publishers was called Crossroad Press, terrific company. They actually are Clive Barker's uh, home base. Like, they put out a lot of Barker's books and uh, really strong. And it was, uh, it was strictly a business decision. I was like, well, I'm not going to be able to use these Amazon ads unless I'm publishing myself. Like, then I can access the portal. So it was kind of like a logistical thing. And the books were, were, were sort of trickling along. There wasn't a lot of uh, 
commercial activity. So with that case, I mean, they made it easy for me. It was contractually an, an option for me to pull them out, but they were like, oh, that was sooner than we expected. So that was one end of things. And I had another book that was with a publisher called Permuted Press, which is, was called The Devoted, which I actually had to spend 500 bucks and, and buy the rights to back because they had paid in advance. I don't, it either never earned out or it broke even, but I had to sort of recompensate them for artwork. And it was, it was worth it because I'm like, you know what, I want every, except, aside from Red Dennis, which is my first novel, which is kind of a different rung, um, I was like, I just want everything under my own umbrella. So that was, it was a process. And then, of course, you're dealing with formatting, new cover art, ISBNs. Like, it, it, was, a, it was a big haul. Yeah, there's always a lot to it. What, so, yeah. so what do you do if you um, get stuck? Like, as in, you can't write. You know, have you ever had? Yeah, that? you know, it's, I have. You know, it's interesting. More as I, you know, I was t- talking about like MLK and feeling like an old man. Like I've written so much because of the ghostwriting. So with that stuff, it was always I was on a deadline. There's a financial incentive. There's a legal contractual component where I have to deliver. So I always had to find a way. That's why the title of that book is Ask, Let's See. Like, I had to find a way to sit down and do it virtually every day. And generally, that's all tied up in um, just sitting down and starting to type. Like, basically, try not to think and just, like, start usually the first couple paragraphs are torture. But then you sort of ease your way into it. It's kind of like self-hypnosis. So I think on a logistical end, anybody can do that. It's just the idea that you don't wait for the muse to come to you. You just sit down and start, and then the muse appears. And I think that's super valuable. But right now, I've sort of written my mind out. Like, I... In 2019 was when I drafted Red Dennis and Ask Plus C because I was like on a liberation tour after all that ghostwriting. I was like, all right, now it's time for my own stuff. And I'm just like in no place, aside from writing news, which is, is a lot less demanding mentally, I'm in no place to do anything ambitious. I'm sort of uh, packing, it, packing it in for the COVID winter here and just like laying low. And uh, I'm, you know, when another idea bites me, I'll go for it. But I don't think, I think uh, up until early next year, I'm just going to, going to, um, sort of uh, stick with marketing and stay less productive. COVID winter, right? COVID's a hoax, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> over. Didn't you hear? Oh, he I'm ended. glad you asked. I'm glad you brought it up. Yeah, yeah. Oh, didn't it turn or some, some people point? are telling me it's going to be over on Tuesday night when they were turning. Yeah, so. yeah well, except yeah. for those 90,000 people that were infected today. Yeah. So. Right, right. That's, yeah, that's yeah. Come on. Just a small detail. Yeah, yeah it's math. I know. Yeah. They're all yeah. actors. <laughs> They're crisis actors. Come right. <laughs> Please. Yes. Yeah. You yeah. know, they got to, even crisis actors deserve love, right? <laughs> that's, so what's yeah. your advice for okay. someone that wants to get in this? If, if there's someone um, that's um, 17, 18, or whatever, and sure. they kind of go, I want to be a writer, I want to be a filmmaker, or anything in this era, what would you tell them? Uh, I would say the business models now, like in the past decade, increasingly on an accelerated level, are skewing toward like you need your own platform whether it's film or writing you know with writing could be self-publishing could be a website where you're self-publishing but just start generating content of course you want it to be of a fine quality you want it to be revised poured over you have done carefully so that's all tied up in having a trustworthy network that can give you uh, feedback and uh, hold your feet to the fire in terms of uh, you know giving you honest opinions as to the value of what you're doing so definitely subject yourself, you know, to the opinions of other people. Even though there's a fine line, you don't you don't want to overdo that and suppress yourself. But uh, if you have people that you can trust that you think are on your side and supportive, you know, hone your work with the feedback of those people and helps to be in community with other artists. Because I think artists, uh, when they travel in groups, sort of cross pollinate and influence each other and, and, and keep each other uh, motivated and productive. So there's that end of it, and then I would just say it's a matter of um, a continuous. Uh, distribution of content through your own platform. I think that's what it's going to more and more look like as time goes on. It's the Joe yeah. Rogan experience. It's just like yeah. you don't even have to market it. Just keep putting more content, more content. That's how our newspaper grew. I mean, right now there's like six, 700 articles up there. It's like, you know, just keep doing it, keep doing it. In the beginning, we got naysayers. We had people that didn't trust us. You know, we don't know what we're doing. Just keep adding it. Just, just ignore them. Keep doing it. And then it grew, and then we had advertisers. And, and it's just like, but it's a daily discipline of showing up and just uh, continuously sending the message you're in business here's what the content you're doing and you're going to be doing more which is uh which is a lot it's pretty intense compared to what i think all of us probably have what we came up with where you didn't always have to be productive at all times necessarily you know you could have work that would uh, maybe occupy more cultural space and if you did something once in a while but the environment we're in now where there's so many voices and microphones on social media like there's so many platforms I, that's the way the game is played so 
own platform and just stay productive. Do, do you think that's hurt um, the quality of work because there's so um, much I, out there and there's no? Yeah, I think. Go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to say there's just there's there's no sort of um, like the old traditional days of going to a publisher and you have to get approved and then it goes through all this. Uh, there was mm. some sort of um, you know. Um, some sort of kind of editing and marketing and and all that. Yeah, now yeah, it's left yeah. up to people that haven't done it before. Do you think mm -hmm. that's kind of wrecked some of it? Uh, some of it for sure. I think the spread is now vaster, so there's more junk that's visible for sure. And it's just like you got books coming out with typos and grammatical errors, and then some of these oh, God, uh, yeah. authors, yeah, some of these self-published guys. Like for me, it was taboo to self-publish. It took me years to finally pull the trigger. I was like, I waited for layer after layer of credibility to add up before I, f I finally jumped in myself. Because um, it's not, like, there's still a stigma attached to it in the back of my mind because it was so uh, looked down upon when I started. It was, like, called vanity publishing. And still, you have these cats that are, that just give it a bad name. I mean, bad cover mm -hmm. art. It's just like, um, so I, I do think that piece of it where whether it's coming from your, your circle, your social circle, you're in a writer's workshop there, there absolutely has to be a counter influence that's editing you or, you know, some sort of vetting since it's not necessary anymore. Uh, but on the upside, like speaking of somebody like Joe Rogan, like then the good thing is in all this mess of media that's out there, all this noise, there are like voices that are coming through that are more authentic and less corporatized and more uh, spontaneous and surprising. So that's been kind of cool. So, um, and especially for the sort of thing I'm doing, like a lot of my fiction is transgressive. There's really not, that anymore like i think chuck palnick is the one and just like clint eastwood is the conservative filmmaker i think chuck palnick is the, is the transgressive author in, in the mainstream and that's it you know like even Brett Easton ellis with uh, american psycho has said like he wouldn't be able to get it published now and you hear that over and over from people that have been around so um like oliver stone is another hero of mine like he said none of these movies would have gotten made now so um uh, I think the DIY thing is liberating in that regard, but yeah, there has to be some level of quality control, and it does bug me also that uh, on the audience side of things, the interaction has changed, and like often the audience will accept things that just aren't aesthetically well put together. So it's like, wow. Yeah, yeah, that, I've noticed that. I think yeah. the, the 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 quality of of listener or viewership or write or reading and stuff is kind of not as good. Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's kind of weird. But I, right. yeah. but I think it kind of relates. Just like now all the commercial art, like pop stars uh, do commercials with their brand new songs to sell products. Yeah. That right. used to be so taboo. You'd never get Led Zeppelin right. doing oh that. Yeah, that's like, yeah. <laughs> remember the outrage when they first now. used the, yeah. you remember the outrage when they first used the Beatles music for yeah. commercials? <laughs> oh, forget it. Yeah. Yeah. Sure change. Of, yeah that was <laughs> just that? wrong. You know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, and now it's like the whole media environment has that tone. Like everybody's on Instagram. Like everybody, everybody's like eager to sell out. And there's like, a, ironically, there's less of a cake to cut into at this point. But uh, yeah. Um, yeah, but it's good. You know, I, I do think there is, uh, you know, uh, what is, I always get uh, bear and bull markets mixed up. The bear market is when you're hibernating, right? That's when the tide is low. Um, <laughs> yes, I think, you know, we were in, it, it pays to be able to survive in bull. Like I've seen a lot of artists and creatives that are only bull market players. Like maybe they exploded in the nineties when the tide was high, when it was high, but now it's like, it's completely over for them because there's no ability to adjust whatsoever. So I think it, it, it pays to stay elastic, even if there's that feeling of like, wow, we're really losing a lot of the values around here, but yeah, mm -hmm. but just uh, keep doing your thing. Yeah, I've never had values, and I explode all year. So, Well, there we go. So now um, I guess we are out of time, but our guest has been Eric Shapiro. We'll have his website or his Facebook and information up on ours, so people listening can do one click and find him. Thank you for being here, Eric. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. 
Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.